Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, and I'm here with my first cup of coffee. Mm, I saved the first sip for you. So good. Today is Wednesday, November 28th. Only a few more days of November, and then only a month left in the year. So that's, uh, time marches on, right? (laughs) I wanted to add something to what I was talking about yesterday with doing the fire drill for my editor. And I call it a fire drill. I don't know, is that an old term? Maybe it's a corporate term. But by that, I mean when somebody asks you for a deliverable very quickly. I think that maybe I have to clarify that because fire drill, I think, implies that it's not necessary. And that's not what I mean. I did think that this was a good and important thing to do. It was mostly, maybe we need another word for that, you know, like a fire alarm. um, Because that fire did need to be put out. But part of the thing with that and dealing with industry folks is that on the editorial side, they don't always understand what it takes to create a scene like that, even a very short one, because they say, oh, it's only 750 to 1,000 words. That shouldn't take you very long, which, depending on the writer, is more or less true. You know, for me... That's maybe a third or a quarter of a day's work. So it's, you know, not insignificant. Um, And for many writers, a thousand words in one day is a lot. So, you know, from their perspective, it seems like, oh, only a couple of pages, you could do this. Um, And in some ways, that's not their problem because they're not responsible for the creative side of things. They're responsible for giving you deadlines and marketing and making sure that the packaging is correct and so forth. Um, But one thing I think that even as writers, we don't always take into account is that it takes time to get your head back into a work, Um, especially if you've been working on something else. And from an editor's perspective, you know, to them, only your book and Only the book that they're working on in that series exists in their universe. And if they could have their way, that would be the only thing that you had going on. That you would just write that book for them, and then in the meantime, you would just be waiting on alert for them to (laughs) give you instructions. Which, you know, granted, used to be the old model of things. I mean, that's part of where the idea of giving an advance came from, is the publisher would give their author an advance so that they had things to had something to live on while they waited for the book to come out. And it's kind of I always think of the old days when the movie studios had like their stables of actors and you know people like um you know Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn were in so many movies together because they were both more or less beholden to that one studio. It's changed dramatically these days, and I don't know if we even recognize the kind of freedom that's inherent in that. But it used to be, you know, like Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy were owned by whatever it was, MGM Grand or something like that. Uh, 
and they would, you know, like work on the movie and then they would have a break and then MGM would come up, we'll pretend it was MGM, then MGM would come up with the next movie and they would wait and they would, you know, then work on that and it would be the next Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn vehicle. You know, now, of course, it's hugely different. There's independent filmmakers and there's a lot of companies and, you know, actors are more or less free to choose which project they want to work on. And it's true with authors. You know, it used to be, you know, like if you were published by Little Brown and then you had your, you know, one on one relationship with your editor at Little Brown and you worked on one book at a time and they kept you afloat. And that's the crux of it these days is that, you know, if I waited only for what Kensington sent me, I could not make a living as an author. Uh, the key, the absolute key to making a living as an author, unless you are a blockbuster, you are not, um, you have to diversify your your income streams. And to me, that includes self-publishing. And if they could stop us from self-publishing, they would. They do try to put stuff in the contracts to uh, put boundaries around that, around what we can do. Um, you know, and we'll cooperate to some extent. But it isn't always a, I don't want to say, <clears throat> I don't want to say it's not a friendly relationship because certainly it's congenial and you make friends with people in the industry and that's great. But their interests and the author in, author's interests don't always perfectly align. And that's something that you really have to keep in mind is that what your editor and your publisher wants for them is not necessarily what's best for you. And they will try to push you into doing that, or I should say you as in the author. They will try to push the author into doing that. Um, you know, so when they ask for something very quickly, that's creative. Uh, sometimes you have to push back and say, no, I don't, you know, I'll get it to you in a week. And I talked about that a little bit yesterday, but I wanted to clarify that that, that getting back into the headspace uh, is is very important, and we don't always take that into account. But if you let them, you know, they, and to some extent, I don't want to say that they don't care about the quality of the work, but they don't care if it's wonderful especially for something like that. They're just like, oh, well, bonus content, whatever. And, you know, no one will ever care about the book more than the author does. Um, I think that that is one of the great truths of the universe. No one will ever, no one at all, will ever care about your writing as much as you do. And that can be a little disheartening sometimes because you really want other people to care as much as you do. And you will have people working with you who care a whole lot. <clears throat> but they also care about other things. Whereas you care about your work more than you care about anyone else's work. And that's how it should be. Readers will take possession and they will care about it too. And they may care about it in passionate ways that are different than your own. But 
I would still argue that it's um that it still matters more to you because you're the person who brought it into the world in the first place. And so when they ask for things like that, when they ask for, um, oh, it's just a few pages. Can you just get it to us? Um, you're the one who cares about whether or not it resonates and whether it fits in with the rest um, instead of it being some sort of little tossed off thing. <clears throat> and we've all seen stuff that authors have kind of been pushed into doing and it's just like, well, you know, you have to care about what you produce. So, along those lines, uh, I was talking with one of my author friends yesterday, and we were just talking about dealing with our agents. And we both have really great relationships with our agents. We're very fortunate that way, and we both have very good agents, and I don't think all agents are good agents. But one thing about dealing with agents is that they tend to be very definitive, and um, they come down decisively on explanations. And this is a good quality in an agent. This is who they are, and um, how they should be. You want an agent who is a person who is very definitive and who draws firm black and white lines because that's how they deal with publishers. And so you want them to have those qualities. There should be a little bit of the, <clears throat> excuse me, of the Barracuda lawyer in every agent. Uh, but that means sometimes when they're dealing with you, you'll get a little edge of that. And if you ask questions, sometimes they come back um, harshly uh, or what feels harsh. You feel like you're asking a simple question and they come back and they say, this is industry standard. You need me to show you screenshots. And it can be a little bit um, intimidating. And and I am not someone who is very easily intimidated, and I find it occasionally intimidated, intimidating. Um, I worked in the corporate world in for eighteen years in dealing with EPA regulations, and I spent a lot of time on the other side of that table explaining to people what the law says and what they couldn't could not do. So. <clears throat> I, you know, I'm pretty good at holding my own. So I know that if I feel it, then I know how much worse it is for somebody who is accustomed to being uh, less aggressive, less assertive, um, who maybe doesn't have those same skills at like business negotiation tactics. So it's just something to keep in mind, especially if you're a querying author and or if you are with one agent and perhaps thinking that you want another one i i spend a lot of time uh advising people who want to change agents at the nebula conference that Cephas sponsors um which is going to be in may in los angeles in in woodland hills which i'm ref uh, reliably informed by Angelinos is not Los Angeles. 
but to the rest of the world, it is Los Angeles. You should definitely go. You don't have to be a SAFWA member to attend, and there's some really great programming. But one of the things that they do is office hours. And they ask people to volunteer to do office hours. And I offered, I had volunteered to do, I think, two or three. And you put, make a list of things that you could talk to people about. And one of the things that I put down was changing agents. I also put down five or six other things. And my office hours were all totally booked. You do 15 minute increments. People sign up to talk to you for 15 minutes. Everybody wanted to talk to me about, almost everybody wanted to talk to me about changing agents. Um, and it's something that I believe in strongly because staying with a bad agent is like staying in a bad marriage. It can just really ruin you. You're better off single. And that's the way it goes. But a really good agent, like a good marriage, can transform your life and make so many things possible. But one thing about changing agents is this whole intimidation factor because even if you're quite certain that your current agent is not doing a good job by you, they will very definitively tell you that they are. And they will make all kinds of excuses and they will make bluster. Uh, do you make bluster? I guess they will just bluster. Um, it's These are all skills that they have and that they employ often without even thinking about it. So you you have to kind of gird your loins, as it were. Ever since I learned what girding your loins really means, I hesitate to use the metaphor, but it's a good one. You have to you have to assemble your armor and your weapons, and you have to be decisive and definitive yourself to meet with that. And it's interesting to me that even um, when you have an agent that you do great with and understand very well and feel like everything's going very well, that occasionally I will feel like, um, well, you know, like yesterday I asked a question and I felt like I got a little bit slapped for asking it, which I don't think she intended at all. I think she was handling a lot of things at once. And she just gave me a very definitive answer. And I felt, I started to feel like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be bugging her. Maybe I shouldn't be asking her that question. But that's not right. And that's what my friend and I were talking about, that yes, you absolutely stand your ground. And you say, yes, I, I want an answer to my question. And I don't care if it's a dumb question. And I don't care if you have to send me screenshots to explain it. I want an answer to my question because as with the work itself, what your, your career, your business, you are the only one who will ever care about it as much as, as uh, you're the, you are the only one. <laughs> I'm not being articulate this morning. Am I, you know what I'm trying to say? You are the only one who will care about it as much as <laughs> I'm, I keep, I'm caught on this. Loop, uh, you will care about it more than anyone else. Yes, thank you, Jeffy. No one cares about it as much as you do. Uh, and what my friend said, and it made me laugh, she said, um, she said, yeah, I asked a whole bunch of questions because I want to make sure there wasn't something in that contract that would bend me over the table. <laughs> Which is a great 
that's a good metaphor. Uh, but that's exactly right. Um, because they will. They will bend you over the table if they can. And they don't even have to be malicious to do it. It's just, it's in their best in business interests. So you have to get smart and learn to act in your own best business interests. And not to be shy about that. So it's just a, a good thing to remember. Especially if you're not in that New York City swim where they have a particular way of communicating with each other that is, you know, maybe not the same <laughs> that we do in our regular lives and other places and other professions. So there, there's thoughts on that. Um, I did have a good day yesterday. I did meet my word count. I met my interim word count. I got a little shy of 3,000 words, so that was great. Um, I have an interim word count that is, I calculate how many words I have left to write and how many days until my self-imposed deadline in this case. I often have a self-imposed deadline that's well ahead of my contractual deadline too. So I figure out that deadline. I do the math. You know, I have my spreadsheets, of course. And I have a formula that tells me how many words I need to write each day to still meet that deadline, which is not necessarily the same as my word count goal. And so it's kind of a, an interim word count. And so, you know, that's back to that same point of ramping up and getting your head back into it. Uh, that was the most words I've written in one day in several weeks. And and the most I've written in one day on this book so far, on book five of Sorcerer's Moons. So I give myself that room to to ramp up to meet that interim deadline. And I have a whole lot of interim deadlines. And I think that that's a useful way to go about it. Um, you know, I, I have a I use conditional formatting in Excel, so it turns green when I hit each interim deadline. So I have um, various points where, you know, like when I I, I have all the, um, you know, like 1,000 words, 2,000 words, 3,000 words, 4,000 words. And then some others, I have the milestones marked out. So like when I've hit end of scene one, when I've hit, hit act two climax, all of that kind of thing. Um and it helps to to have those milestones along the way so that you feel like you're making progress. Some people like to, you know, like I know some authors who like to just sit and write by hand, and then they type it in and discover how much they wrote. Um, you know, I think you have to find what works for you. I really, I like to, I like to see my progress. So... Story is coming along fine. Um, some surprising things happened, which is always interesting. Um, I'm also working with the cover artist. She sent me some. She sent me some stuff over Thanksgiving too. I looked at it on my phone as we were driving, and then she sent me some updated images yesterday. So I think it's going to be a really neat cover. I still haven't come up with a title. Do you guys have suggestions for titles? Those of you who love Sorcerer's Moons, I'd be interested to hear it. I need a title for book five and for book six. Um, I should probably put some 
thought into those because she's got the placeholder title on it for now. And <laughs> it's a little disconcerting. I think she's been using the forests of Drew and it's like, no, wait. Um, oh, and then my other big news, I got to announce yesterday that um, the Chronicles of Desneria trilogy will be translated into Czech uh, and published with, uh, they bought uh, worldwide rights for the Czech translation. And so that will, um, the, it's funny, you don't really get a contract because the contract goes through Kensington. So instead I get a deal memo for the deal that they negotiated. And that's why I was asking some questions yesterday. But the deal memo says um, that they have two years to publish it from the date of the contract, and the date of the contract is listed as March 2019. So I don't know, you know, almost all contracts have that kind of clause in there, that they have to publish the book within a certain time or they lose the rights. Um, almost nobody holds them to that, but they almost never miss it. I do know people that that's happened to where the publisher has just sat on the book forever. Um, and I'm always amazed that they don't invoke that contract and try to yank it back. It goes back to that business thing. Sometimes you, you have to be definitive about stuff. You have to be assertive and protect your own business, protect your own work. So... How's that for a Warrior Wednesday? <laughs> Love your work. Protect it. Don't be apologetic about asking questions and demanding answers. So I hope you all have a wonderful Wednesday. Um, this week seems to be going fast for me. I don't know about you all. But um, I will talk to you all again tomorrow. Thanks for sharing my first cup of coffee with me. Bye-bye.